Good morning. Sabbath blessings to those joining us over our uh, church page there on Facebook and our YouTube channel. God bless you. I welcome you this Sabbath. We're about to get started into a very, very incredible, I believe incredible, insightful study. So we've been going through this series, The Closing Scenes Following in the Crisis of Christ. And so I welcome you. You can join us in our Pow Talk Church and everyone here as we... Uh, get prepared for that uh, study. Uh, we want to ask the Lord to bless us. And so we want to bow our heads for prayer. And I invite you to do so with me now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very, very much for this Holy Sabbath day. We thank you for the opportunities that have been given to this this last week to be a witness to your love and your care. And we pray this morning Lord, as we give praise to your holy name, that you pour out the Holy Spirit upon us, upon your people all around the world today. So we keep this Sabbath day and we, we endeavor to keep it holy. We pray for the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and our minds and to guide us as we do uh, the study of your word and as we uh, reach others uh, in caring for others on this Sabbath day. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And so, Lord, we want to bring glory to thy name. Please be with those who cannot be with us here this morning. Be with those who are sick and ill. Uh, we praise your name, Lord, for being near to those who uh, have gone through these natural disasters or those who are continuing to do so. We pray that you will be very near to them. Send angels that excel in strength to be with them. We praise your name for protecting uh, those who weathered this storm in preparation, Lord, for the spiritual storm that is soon to come. We all wish to be ready. Help us to, to be ready, Lord, as we give you our hearts today. Please forgive us our sins. And Lord, give me the words to speak today. I pray in the blessed name of Jesus, who is so worthy. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, friends, as we begin our study concerning the parallels uh, between the closing scenes of Christ's life and uh, the closing scenes of the remnant people of God, let us remember those who triumph with Jesus will first suffer with him. Those who follow him in glory will first follow him through shame. And those who share his throne will first share his cross. And before the cross, friends, as we've, as we've been studying before the cross must come the trial and the test. And before the trial and the test must, must come Gethsemane. And before Gethsemane must come a day-by-day -day experience over a period of time to develop a character and a prayer experience that can successfully meet our crisis during the closing scenes of this world. As we've studied, we, we realize that Jesus is our example in all things. And we have found incredible parallels uh, between the closing scenes of Christ's life here and what the remnant people of God will experience in the closing scenes of this world. We now come to the end of the life of Christ. He has been crucified and has died for the sins of humanity. We pick it up here in John chapter 19. And we're going to read verses 38 to 42. John chapter 19, verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. 
and Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes about oh, a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. It was close. And so we see that, that Jesus is placed in a hewn cave, and thus his body, have you ever thought of it this way? His body is protected by a shelter of stone. Have you ever thought about that? Now, Jesus had faithfully kept all the commandments, hadn't he? He had done all that his father had asked him to do. And let's never forget that, that they were in agreement, the father and the son, to do this. The father had asked him to do this. And Jesus volunteered to do this. And Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 29, he says, He that sent me is with me. The father hath not left me alone. For I do always those things that please him. And so we see in the life of Jesus as he came down here, we see that Jesus, even in heaven, as far as that goes, but specifically down here in his ministry here, we see that he would rather die than sin. And in fact, he has died rather than sin. It is our sins, beloved, that has cost him his life a life which he has given to ransom us back from sin and death, to have the opportunity to be sons and daughters of God again. And the remnant will come to the place in their walk with the Father that they too would rather die than sin. And because of their spiritual experiences and and decisions to completely follow God by exercising the faith of Jesus, they will also be protected by a shelter of stone in the closing scenes of this world. That shelter of stone is Christ, friends, and he's a proven stone, a cornerstone. Let me share this with you. It's from the Signs of the Times, November 27, 1879. Those who have been erring and sinful in their lives, but who have repented of their sins and in genuine sorrow confess them, will have pardon written against their names in the heavenly records. They will be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. You catch that? Who is it? Those who have repented of their sins and confessed them. They will be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Satan will attack this class, but like Jacob, they have taken hold of the strength of God. And true to his character, he is at peace with them. Put that in the back of your mind. We'll get to that in a few moments. She says, and true to his character, the character of God, he is at peace with them. And sends angels to comfort and bless and sustain them in their time of peril. The time of Jacob's trouble will test everyone and distinguish the genuine Christian from the one who is so only in name. 
And so as we read this, we see that God is true to his word and there will be a protection for the saints. And so as you take notice that Jesus rested in a tomb, you'll know that he rested in a tomb that was enclosed by a sealed stone. Matthew 27, verse 66 says, So they went and they made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Not only was the stone sealed, friends, they set a watch. That means they placed the tomb under guard. Now, a watch was a specified time during the day. The Jews broke uh, night watches into three uh, separate watches. The beginning watch was from sunset to 10 o'clock at night. The middle watch was from, from 10 to 2 a.m. And the morning watch was from 2 a.m. to sunrise. So not only did they seal the stone, they set a watch. They were guarding the tomb. From the book Desire of Ages, page 778. The priests gave directions for securing the sepulcher. A great stone had been placed before the opening. Across this stone they placed cords, securing the ends to the solid rock and sealing them with the Roman seal. The stone could not be moved without breaking the seal. A guard of 100 soldiers was then stationed around the sepulcher to prevent it from being tampered with. Now we're talking about parallels here. And you'll see parallels between the life of Christ, the closing scenes, and that of the remnant people, what they'll go through. But notice, they're being guarded. See? His body is being guarded. The sepulcher is being guarded. And as she says, to prevent it from being tampered with. The priests did all they could to keep Christ's body where it had been laid. He was sealed as securely in his tomb as if he were to remain there through all time. The body of Jesus was being protected to keep anyone from doing anything to him or with him. He rested in the security of a sealed tomb. And so, friends, as the death decree is given for the remnant people of God to be killed after a certain time, they too are sealed by God, not by Rome, but by God, and will be protected by him as well. Let me read you a couple of quotes here. The first one from The Great Controversy, page 631. The heavenly sentinels, faithful to their trust, continue their watch. Though a general decree has fixed the time when commandment keepers may be put to death, their enemies will in some places anticipate the decree and, before the time specified, will endeavor to take their lives. But none can pass the mighty guardians stationed about every faithful soul. Take courage, friends. We serve a mighty God. Some are assailed in their their flight from the cities and villages, but the swords raised against them break and fall as powerless as a straw. Others are defended by angels in the form of men of war. Were not these Roman guards that guarded Jesus men of war? From the book Early Writings, page 282. Satan wished to have the privilege of destroying the saints of the Most High, but Jesus bade his angels watch over them. God would be honored by making a covenant with those who had kept his law. Again, they have peace with God. Remember I told you, put that in the back of your mind. 
And now, God would be honored by making a covenant with those who had kept his law. We'll get to that in a moment too. In the sight of the heathen round about them, they kept his law. God's going to make a covenant with those who kept his law in the sight of the heathen round about them. And Jesus would be honored by translating, without their seeing death, the faithful waiting ones who had so long expected him. So can you see the parallels, beloved? Jesus was given a death decree because he would rather die than sin. The remnant people of God are given a death decree as they too would rather die than sin. And so Jesus goes through the the mental anguish and, and spiritual darkness of separation from the Father, not having a mediator himself, taking upon himself our sins, and he dies for us, friends. And so the remnant, they go through the mental anguish and spiritual darkness of the time of trouble, coming before the Father without a mediator. You see? They come before the Father without a mediator for them anymore. And though they think for a time that they will be killed by the, killed by the wicked, they remain faithful to God and trust Him with their life. Incredible parallels. Jesus was giving us an example, as Peter says, in all things. Another parallel to think about is that Jesus rested in a sealed shelter of stone on the Sabbath day, guarded by men of war so none can molest him. And the remnant keep the Sabbath too, and they're sealed in their foreheads. Bible tells us, having the character of the Father and Son written in their minds, practiced in their thoughts, words, and actions. And they too are guarded so none can molest or kill them after the death decree. You know, beloved, when Peter says to us, 1 Peter 2.21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. I don't think we realize the magnitude of it. The example for us. And I hope you can see that the closing scenes of Christ is a road map for the closing scenes of the remnant people. It's remarkable, really. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, begin with verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow, and for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. What a wonderful message, friends. And what a wonderful climax to the closing scenes of the life of Jesus. Dark was the hour 
You'll remember on that preparation day as they nailed him to the tree. Darker it was at midnight as the sun was blotted out and darker still in the hearts of his friends as the evening shadows fell and he laid in Joseph's tomb. But before the dawning of that first day of the week, there came light more glorious than the glow of the morning sun for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, rolled away the stone and called forth the Son of God. And here Satan had thought that he, he might keep Jesus a prisoner. Men had thought that they might keep him there in the tomb. The Jewish leaders had asked for a guard and Pilate consented to that, sending a hundred men. A Roman seal had been placed on that tomb. And that band of 100 soldiers was set to watch it day and night lest something should happen to the body of Jesus. But I want you to get the picture of how that looked to heaven. You go to Psalms chapter 2 and begin with verse 1 and it's just remarkable. This is how God pictures the follies of men, the attempts of men to obstruct His righteousness. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And notice how God behaves. Verse 4, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. My dear friends, God laughs at the feeble attempts of man to subdue his righteousness. And when puny men think that with some seals and, and soldiers they can keep the Son of God when heaven's hour comes for His liberation, it's simply laughable. It's impossible for it to happen. But the idea that men think that they could stop a, a thing of that kind really shows us, friends, the power of Satan's deceptions. We need to be so filled with the thought of the power of heaven, the, the, the might of heaven, the omnipotence of heaven, that we too can laugh at the puny efforts of man to stand in God's way of protecting the righteous from being destroyed against his wishes. And I don't mean to say laugh as in, you know, comic relief. But sometimes you get put in a, a situation, and I have, I've had the experience where you either laugh or you cry, and I'd prefer to laugh. <laughs> but to think that feeble man coming up against the all-powerful Creator to stop him from fulfilling his will is laughable. And so it came to pass on the resurrection morning that Satan and all his hosts were anxious they were uneasy. Those 100 soldiers fell as dead men at the presence of the angel. And the thought by the prince of evil that it was his time of triumph became the hour of his greatest defeat from which he's never recovered and, friends, he never will recover. The victory was won. It was made eternally certain for the universe, for all creation. And Satan and his hosts knew that their doom was sure. 
And here's an interesting thought to consider, I believe, when it comes to the nature of Christ and the nature of the redeemed, especially the remnant people who go through the time of Jacob's trouble. I want you to notice what Jesus says in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 17. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And so, friends, Jesus volunteered to become divinity and humanity combined for us. Have you considered that? He volunteered to become divinity and humanity for us. He loves us that much that he would become like one of us. And the Father loves us that much too. And so he gave Jesus to us, as it says in John three sixteen seventeen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world. Who sent him? God did. He didn't send him here to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And this is why Jesus is called the Son of God and the Son of Man. He voluntarily gave himself up for us and to remain as one of us for all eternity. And I want you to notice, laying aside his divinity was the only way he could have been tempted or harmed by Satan. You realize that? So Jesus laid down his divinity and was tempted, overcoming sin for all of us. Then his humanity died for our sins as he laid aside his divinity. Then by his divinity, he raised his humanity up from death. He had the right to do that. Because you see, the reason he could do it then was that he had finished his atonement at the cross for us. There was no more need to be tempted and tried by Satan. Jesus had gotten the victory, you see. So his divinity can raise his humanity from the grave. And by his triumph over sin, his divinity... By his divinity, he can then raise up all humanity. Each one of us, friends, to be sons and daughters of the Father. Isn't that remarkable? And the remnant people of God, the Bible tells us, they allow Jesus to completely raise them up to the point that they reflect his character perfectly. And thus they will not see death like all the other redeemed have before this time. And Jesus volunteered to do this for you and me. Oh, friends, what love for us. That we could be called the sons and daughters of God. From the Youth's Instructor, November 18, 1897. The prince of this world had had no power to take his life from him. He had laid it down as a voluntary sacrifice in man's behalf, as speaking of Jesus. He had not been compelled to this course of action. 
When he broke the fetters of the tomb and came forth from the grave, he proclaimed his triumph above the rent sepulcher of Joseph, exclaiming, I am the resurrection and the life. This was a death knell resounding through the regions of Satan. The prince of life passed from the tomb, leading forth a multitude of captives, triumphing over the powers of hell and making manifest to the inhabitants of unfallen worlds that he had passed through the last act in the drama of suffering in the great controversy between him and the satanic agencies. He brought life and immortality to light and made a bright, clear pathway from heaven, from earth to heaven that those who receive him should follow where he leads the way. They do what? They follow where he leads the way. As Peter said, he's our example. He's our example in all things. To Jesus, as the Son of God lays down his life and then takes it up again. And so we lay down our life for him and he raises us up to a new life. Praise God. So like Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 39, 40, he said, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. This is why he says this. And so, as the death couldn't hold Jesus in the tomb and in the grave, Neither can death come upon those who have overcome all sin in his name and have his character. I'll get to that in a moment. A little bit more. Let's go back to Matthew 28. Now we'll look at verses 2 to 4. Now remember, we're, we're studying about the parallels between the closing scenes of Christ and the closing scenes of the remnant people of God. Matthew 28, verses, uh, verses 2 to 4. We'll see another parallel here. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow, and the fear of, in the fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men. We see here that the the tomb was opened when it was opened that there was an earthquake. There was a bright light. Jesus had risen from the dead. And then he appears to Mary. In John 20, verse 17, he says, Touch me not. You remember that? He says, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. Interesting. And then he says, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. So Jesus is saying, touch me not. Don't adore me yet. Don't bring worship to me yet. I have to go to my father. You see, Jesus must first see his father, his heavenly father, to receive the assurance that his sacrifice and atonement was complete and had been accepted. People say, well, what's, what's the purpose of that? Well, there was a covenant made, you see, between the Father and the Son. 
And only after this ratification of the covenant between the Father and the Son can Jesus return with the gifts for the church and the power to give to the church and continue his ministry to prepare his people to follow in his steps. The Desire of Ages, page 790. Jesus refused to receive the homage of his people until he had the assurance that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father. He ascended to the heavenly courts and from God himself heard the assurance that his atonement for the sins of men had been ample, that through his blood all might gain eternal life. The Father, notice this she says, the Father ratified the covenant made with Christ. He ratified it that he would receive repentant and obedient men and would love them as, even as he loves his son. Christ was to complete his work and fulfill his pledge to make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. All power in heaven and on earth was given to the prince of life. You see? And he returned to his followers in a world of sin that he might impart to them of his power and glory. So Jesus says to Mary, touch me not. I've not yet ascended to my father. And then Jesus returned from heaven. He returned to be with his disciples. And during the following 40 days... He spoke to them, teaching them the scriptures, being seen of all that this is a man who was raised from the dead. This is Jesus the Christ. And then came that wonderful day when from the Mount of Olives he ascended, leaving them the parting promise that you find in Matthew twenty-eight twenty, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's us. He's with us always. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, the angels who lingered near, you know, you'd think they, they would be anxious. They wanted to go up with Jesus because he was going to get a grand welcome in heaven. Psalms tells us that. But they, they lingered there. Because, you know, the angels of God love us too. And they could see the disciples. They followed Jesus. You read about that. They followed Jesus' track all the way till he was out of sight. And they said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. You'll see him again. He's going to come back in the same way, the same manner, the clouds of heaven. And friends, I want to tell you, as we study these things, these closing events of Christ's life on earth, they are closely linked with the events that our eyes are set upon that culminate in the return of our Lord, surrounded with those same angels, I believe, that received him when he left from Olivet some 1,900 years ago. And it's not a coincidence that 
10 days after Jesus ascended to heaven, that we see the gifts and the power that he was given to give to his church poured out upon them. They received spiritual gifts to do the works of Christ. And the remnant people of God will experience the latter rain experience just as the disciples experienced the early rain experience there at Pentecost. I tell you, there are parallels seen throughout the closing scenes of Christ that tell us where we are headed and to prepare for that time of testing, friends. And as he ascended and drew near the gates of the city of God, he was welcomed by the angelic host. And the scene is described in beautiful detail in the book Desire of Ages. In fact, the closing chapter of the Desire of Ages. I'm going to read some from that. Desire of Ages, page 834. Then the portals of the city of God are opened wide and the angelic throng sweep through the gates amid a burst of rapturous music. There is the throne and around it the rainbow of promise. There are cherubim and seraphim. Those are other types of angels for those who don't know. The commanders of the angel hosts, the sons of God, the representatives of unfallen worlds are assembled. The heavenly council before which Lucifer had accused God and his son the representatives of those sinless realms over which Satan had thought to establish his dominion, all are there to welcome the Redeemer. They are eager to celebrate his triumph and to glorify their king. Can you imagine the scene? They're ready. They, they think it's, it's over now. She says, not yet. He cannot now receive the coronet of glory in the royal robe. He enters into the presence of his father. He points to his wounded head, the pierced side, the marred feet. He lifts his hands bearing the print of nails. He points to the tokens of his triumph, those who were raised with him that he took to heaven. She says, he presents to God the wave sheaf. Those raised with him as representatives of that great multitude who shall come forth from the grave at his second coming. He approaches the Father with whom there is joy over one sinner that repents, who rejoices over one with singing. You think about that? Every person that repents, our Heavenly Father rejoices with singing. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, the Father and Son had united in a covenant to redeem man if he should be overcome by Satan. They had clasped their hands in a solemn pledge that Christ should become the surety for the human race. This pledge Christ has fulfilled. When upon the cross he cried out, It is finished! He addressed the Father. The compact had been fully carried out. Now he declares, Father, it is finished. I have done thy will, O my God. I have completed the work of redemption. If thy justice is satisfied, I will, that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. And so what we see here, Jesus brings to heaven with him the wave sheaf offering, and he makes his wonderful plea to the Father for his church, his people. 
and Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man, and his people were accepted wholeheartedly by the Father, and all the angels bowed in worship, acknowledging him as the Prince of Life. And if you understand the sanctuary services and what they pointed toward too, and the big description of the gospel and the ministry of Jesus, Jesus had thus moved, you see, from that courtyard experience to the holy place experience and begins to train his church to sanctify them for the final battle that will come many years in the future. He begins to pour out the power of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts that Paul talks about. And then we come down through time. Prophecy tells us that on October 22nd, 1844 AD, almost 2,000 years later, friends, that Jesus moved into the final phase of his work by entering into the most holy place in heaven, still being a priest for us, but soon to be the king of kings. And it's here, in the most holy place where the law of God sits enthroned that's our father the character of our father the ten commandments are a transcription of his character friends but it's here that Jesus as our high priest begins to cleanse the sanctuary of sin it's here that he is to prepare a generation of people by cleansing them of sin that they will then make the demonstration that we've talked about before to all creation that mankind can be trusted to live among them for all eternity. To declare by their character that Christ's sacrifice was not in vain and thus vindicate the character and love of God. And those glorious events which happened almost 2,000 years ago are to be paralleled by a wonderful triumph that awaits the remnant people down here in the closing scenes. These are a generation of people who follow Jesus whithersoever he goes, and they trod the winepress like their Savior did. And so they will triumph like he did, and they will be glorified like he is glorified. And when we look back, we see as Jesus was delivered from that glorious angel that brought the summons from his Father in heaven there in that dark hour of the morning of the first day of the week, so the remnant church will be delivered at the midnight hour as the voice of God speaks from heaven and glory takes the place of darkness. I want you to notice the wonderful description of this in the book, The Great Controversy. Pages 635-636. Speaking of that group of people, that remnant people, with shouts of triumph, jeering and imprecation, throngs of evil men are about to rush upon their prey when, lo, a dense blackness, deeper than the darkness of the night, falls upon the earth. Then, a rainbow, shining with the glory from the throne of God, spans the heavens and seems to encircle each praying company by the people of God. A voice, clear and melodious, is heard saying, Look up! And lifting their eyes to the heavens, they behold the bow of promise. And so, friends, to the wicked, this all 
This is all tempest and storm. But God's people hear the voice of their Father in heaven. The Father can speak directly to them now as they have full a full sanctified character. They have overcome as Jesus overcame. They have stood without the mediation of Jesus and their demonstration of this has been accomplished. The Father says, it is done. And so like Stephen, they look up through the heavens and they see Jesus there at the throne and they hear his request from John 17, 24. Remember, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Back to the great controversy, page 636. It is at midnight that God manifests his power for the deliverance of his people. The sun appears, shining in its strength. Signs and wonders follow in quick succession. The wicked look with terror and amazement upon the scene, while the righteous behold with solemn joy the tokens of their deliverance. In the midst of the angry heavens is one clear space of indescribable glory, whence comes the voice of God like the sound of many waters, saying, It is done. What will be the results of the voice of God there? What will be the results? Revelation sixteen eighteen says, And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. Friends, that's the voice of God shaking the heavens and the earth. Now remember back there at Calvary, there was an earthquake when Jesus laid down his life on the cross. Remember that? And there was an earthquake when he rose from the dead. Remember that? And so there is to be an earthquake at this crisis hour for his remnant people. There is to be an earthquake that marks the deliverance of God's people just as there was one that delivered God's son. And I want you to note that it will not only be the deliverance of the righteous living at this time, Some interesting, a couple of interesting scriptures. Daniel 12 and verse 2. Notice what it says. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now that's a rather interesting statement. Many times I've heard preachers say, well, yeah, that's speaking about the different resurrections, the resurrections of the righteous, resurrections. Not entirely wrong, but this is more specific because this is many of them that sleep in the dust, Daniel's saying. Not all of them, many of them. Now let's look at Revelation 1, verse 7. We're familiar with that. Because it says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Some people stop right there, but you've got to finish the verse. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Friends, these scriptures are speaking of a special resurrection. And the reason for this is given in the description of this scene that we read from the book Early Writings. Early Writings, page 285. There was a mighty earthquake. The graves were opened and those who had died in faith under the third angel's message, keeping the Sabbath, came forth from their dusty beds glorified to hear... What are they to hear? Anybody know? 
to hear the covenant of peace that God was to make with those who had kept his law. Remember I said to put that in the back of your mind early on? The sky opened and shut and was in commotion. The mountains shook like a reed in the wind and cast out ragged rocks all around. The sea boiled like a pot and cast out stones upon the land. And as God spoke, what's he speak here? Notice, as God the Father spoke the day and the hour of Jesus' coming and delivered the everlasting covenant to his people, he spoke one sentence and then paused while the words were rolling through the earth. The Israel of God stood with their eyes fixed upward, listening to the words as they came forth from the mouth of Jehovah and rolled through the earth like pearls, or peals, excuse me, of loudest thunder. It was awfully solemn. Can you imagine? She probably can't express it in English language. It was awfully solemn. At the end of every sentence, the saints shouted, Glory, hallelujah! Their countenance were lighted up with the glory of God, and they shone with glory as did the face of Moses when he came down from Sinai. The wicked could not look upon them for the glory. And when the never-ending blessing was pronounced on those who had honored God in keeping his Sabbath holy, there was a mighty shout of victory over the beast and over his image. Kind of sets the context there, doesn't it? Here's another one from the Great Controversy. Page 637. Graves are opened, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Notice she quotes Daniel 12, 2. All who have died in the faith of the third angel's message come forth from the tomb glorified to hear God's covenant of peace with those who have kept his law. Then she quotes Revelation 1.7. They also which pierced him. Those that mocked and derided Christ's dying agonies. And the most violent opposers of his truth and his people are raised to behold him in his glory and to see the honor placed upon the loyal and obedient. What an hour that will be, friends. What a reunion that will be. That's when I'll see, by God's grace, my dad again. And my friends, like Ron Becker, I'll get to see Ronnie again. Eddie Luther. Deb remembers Eddie Luther. Jack Loudermilk. All the saints that have died since 1844 are coming forth then, friends. James and Ellen White and their children are going to be there. Joseph Bates. Sojourner Truth will be there. That special resurrection because they died in the three angels' messages. And so many others that have known this message and loved it and have kept God's holy Sabbath day. They're coming forth from the grave at the time of that great earthquake that marks the deliverance of the saints. What a great time that is going to be. Remember, Jesus came forth from the tomb glorified. Those righteous who have been sleeping in their graves since 1844 come forth from the tomb glorified to hear what again? God's covenant of peace with those who have kept his law. Now let me ask you something. Why will these dear souls 
Those who have died in the three angels' messages be raised in a special, special resurrection to look upon this scene. Why is that necessary? Why are the ones who pierced Jesus and those that mocked and derided Christ's dying agonies and the most violent opposers of his, of his truth and his people be raised to see this event? Why? First of all, every covenant must have witnesses. And usually there are witnesses for both parties, aren't there? A marriage has two witnesses. A contract has two witnesses, usually both who sign and a notary that witnesses the agreement. The covenant of peace was between God and man, you remember. The covenant of peace is now ratified, you see, between God and man because of these souls that have kept his law, that have kept the Sabbath holy. Those faithful are raised as witnesses of this eternal ratification on behalf of man. They get to see the finish of what they too had worked for, but had to sleep before it came to a victorious end. The wicked few who are raised are witnesses to behold him in his glory and to see the honor placed upon the loyal and obedient, she says. So every doubt is to be removed in all creation and there will be none left to say that God is not loving or just. Shortly after Jesus' resurrection, he ascended with the multitude of captivities going with him. Represented, remember, as the wave sheaf offering. And shortly after the glorification of the saints, after this special resurrection, we too are going to, to ascend to heaven as Jesus returns to us, just as he returned to his disciples, you recall. And as a great company came from heaven to welcome the Savior, as the time for his ascension came, so all heaven is going to be emptied this time, friends, to come down here and welcome you and me and escort us home to that glorious city. Praise God. And what a multitude of angels is coming, friends. John saw it. Remember he said in Revelation 1, 1 and verse 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Isn't that a remarkable statement? Revelation 14, 14, he saw it again. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. What's he coming for, friends? He's coming for you and me. That's what he went away for. That's what he's coming for. Remember John 14? Verses 2 and 3. He said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself. That where I am there ye may be also. That's what this is all about friends. That's what it's all about. The parallel experience of the remnant with Jesus. Represents the fact that Jesus wants his people with him. And the heart of Jesus is in a very special way. Set upon the remnant of this last generation. 
These are they which follow the Lamb in a very close fellowship, whithersoever he goeth, remember? And you and I are called upon to enter into an experience with Jesus closer than all the angels that have, that have never fallen and closer than the groups of the generations that have lived and died upon this world. You realize that? Why? I ask a lot of questions when I study. Why? <laughs> because this generation is in a very special way to answer the charge of Satan that the law of God cannot be kept. And that's the point of Christ's ministry since the cross. Jesus didn't just die to justify us, friends, just to forgive us. He wants us to be with him, which means we need to become citizens of the heavenly kingdom, which means he's not the only one that decides. You realize that's the way God's government is? He doesn't want disunity. He wants all to be united. So everybody gets to, gets to look on. Everybody has a say. If Jesus just came and died to justify us, it all could have ended at the cross like so many Christians errantly believe. But Jesus died to justify, to sanctify, and to finally glorify us, his people. As Jesus gave the lie to Satan's charges, as he demonstrated in his life here on earth that the law of God could be kept in human flesh by laying hold of the power of, that God had provided, so God is going to have a group of people down here today do as Jesus did and make that demonstration to all creation. And the book of Revelation pictures them as the 144,000. All friends. These people have the Father's name written in their foreheads. They have the seal of the living God in their forehead. They have God's will fully transcribed in their minds and fully lived out in their lives. And thus they are given the exalted privilege, the high honor of going through these special end-time trials, these special tests, so they can make the special demonstration down here today. You see, for 6,000 years, Jesus has been the intercessor, standing between the human family and a broken law. But sometime before Jesus comes, he'll have so developed his people that he can step out between them and that law. And the people of God will stand there so fully clothed with the righteousness of Jesus by faith within and works without that the law can find no fault with them. And Satan stands viewing them as a fortress impregnable to all his sophistries and delusions. Do you not see that Satan will do everything he can to break them down? Just as he tried with Christ? Can you not see that he'll use every effort to keep them from making that demonstration to all creation? Oh, beloved, I'm so thankful that Revelation 14, 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You know, patience means more than meekness. It means their steadfast endurance. It means the ability to carry through. They have the same faith Jesus had. 
And they make the demonstration down here in this world that they do have the faith that Jesus had. And so John sees them there on the sea of glass. And as Jesus was welcomed by the angels when he ascended, so God's people will be welcomed by the angels and by the representatives of all the other unfallen worlds. And as all heaven was filled with songs of rejoicing as our risen Lord ascended in triumph, so the universe will ring from one end to the other with the triumphant strains as God's people are brought home to share with Him forever the glories of eternity. Revelation 15, verses 2 and 3. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. And why is it that only they can sing the song of the Lamb? Because they've had some of the experiences that the Lamb experienced down here in this world. They know more than any other group the meaning of Gethsemane. They know more than any other group the meaning of Calvary. They know more than any other group the meaning of the demonstration down here in this world that the law of God can be kept in human flesh. They are the ones that stood before God. I should put it in present tense. They are the ones who stand before God without a mediator, just like Jesus did. Oh, beloved, it's not a, isn't it a glorious hour to be living in? Thank God we have the opportunity to make the final demonstration. You know, prophets of old would trade places with us in a moment. Now, before I close up, there's a very practical lesson that ought to come to our hearts as we view the empty tomb. As we think of the glorious triumph of our Lord over all the powers of darkness. Shortly after Ellen White's visit to the Walden Seas Valleys where she had gazed upon those great mountains and had looked upon the places where thousands of martyrs had laid down their lives for Jesus, it recalled to her mind the things the Lord had shown uh, her about the, the persecutions and also the closing scenes of the people of God. And you'll find it in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 754. She says, Brethren, it is no time now for mourning and despair, no time to yield to doubt and unbelief. Christ is not now a Savior in Joseph's new tomb, closed with a great stone and sealed with the Roman seal. We have a risen Savior. He is the King, the Lord of hosts. He sitteth between the cherubim, and amid the strife and tumult of nations, He guards His people still. And so if we will gaze upon these scenes, we will have a great deal of courage, I believe. We'll be able to face all sorts of emergencies and disappointments. 
without becoming depressed, without losing our faith. Remember, as heaven looked upon those Jewish leaders and those Roman commanders, you know, gathering together, laying plans to be sure that Jesus didn't get out of the grave, God laughed at their attempts. Remember Psalm 2 verse 4, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Oh, may we have that kind of faith, friends. May we have that kind of faith. Faith that our Heavenly Father will never let us go. Jesus said in John ten twenty nine, My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You realize, beloved, God wants us to bruise Satan under our feet. He wants us to tread upon the lion and the adder. Everybody ought to want to bear their witness of triumph through faith in Jesus. Do you want that, friends? Do you want that kind of faith? Do you want to, want the triumph? You know, you can have that triumph right now by giving Jesus sole possession of your will. And He will prepare you with triumphs now so you will have that final triumph then. And if you wish to have it, say Amen. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we again thank You so very, very much for the opportunity that we have to become sons and daughters of God again. And Father, we come before You and we thank You and we praise You for all that You have given up so that we may be your son or daughter. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us with power, that we may come into unity and finish this work. We pray that you will work through us, preparing us, so that we may hear your voice on that day, ratifying the covenant. We thank you that Jesus is our example in all things, and that he has laid the course for his people. Please give us the strength and the courage, the wisdom, the discernment to follow the path to the kingdom and bring glory to thy name. Father, please continue to be with us on this holy Sabbath day to that end that we may keep it holy and glorify thee. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, I want to thank those who joined us over Facebook and our YouTube uh, channels. God bless each and every one of you. Uh, remember that uh, we'll be on Pal Talk next time. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have our family Sabbath. We won't be broadcasting. But join us the first Sabbath in October. Till then, God bless you and keep you. <laughs>